0: I wish everyone what's left of the good morning, and I'm very happy to be here in Cheshire Achel. I've been here in a long time, so it's exciting for me. And we're gonna study the insights of Rabbi Soloveitchik. I'll explain to you a little bit of background, who he was and when he lived and so forth, to the Haggadah Shel Pesach. Rabbi Soloveitchik was born somewhere at the end of the uh, previous century, I mean, you know, probably in around, let's say, 1900 or so. And about 1900, I'm just rounding it out. You can actually Google Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik and you'll probably get the more accurate the date of birth. I didn't do that. Questions question is how to spell Soloveitchik. That's not easy. <laughs> in any event... So there's many things I can tell you about him. He was a great um, Mashpia, meaning he had a tremendous amount of influence and impact on the Jewish world. He was what we would call a genius amongst geniuses. Extremely creative. In fact, if you quoted him in class, he probably got a yell or a scream because anything that he had already said was old and stale. Everything had to be brand new, like freshly baked bread. You don't have to just come out of the oven. Even if it was his own Torah, it was if it's been said, it's old. And he had thousands of students. I myself. Had the merit of being with him for five years, and that's nothing. I mean, guy in the back of the classroom was there for 18 years, and there was just so much to soak up from him, it was just endless. And you know, they say about Hasidun, that when they talk about the Rebbe, they tell stories about the Rebbe and what they call Meissen Mopsen, you know, incredible miracles that the Rebbe brought about. I don't have any miracle stories to tell you about Rabbi Soloveitchik. But the miracle of Rabbi Soloveitchik was that, from a perspective of a student, that he could recreate anew every single time. It was just amazing. He was like a spring that produces water constantly. You know, sometimes we would end a class after two hours. You know, an average class was two, three hours. And you would say he deserves for that class a PhD. And then he would come back the next day and start from scratch as if he had not said anything. And rebuild it from the beginning and recreate the whole studio. It was just an amazing thing to watch. My uh Partner Michael Russo was also a bit of a genius. I mean, he, well, for those who might know a little bit about America, he, he won a Westinghouse, which is a final, it's something for high school students, a national competition. Then he went on to MIT, which is a tremendous university up in Boston, where he finished in three different areas in order to get his undergraduate degree in two years. He's to come after he finished at MIT. He would come to Rabbi Salvechik's class, and I sat next to him, because we were partners in learning, and I knew that Rabbi salvation was going to call on him to ask him for an answer. Don't worry, girls, I'm not going to call on you, so you don't have to get nervous. <laughs> and you would see this fellow, his first name is Alan, and he's thinking, like, at the speed of light, I think he was thinking faster than his mouth. I don't even think he knew exactly what he's going to say. And it came out, like, and Rabbi Solveitschik was, like, so proud of him that he came off the answer. And these were the caliber of people who came around. There were, like, 100 people in the class. Rabbi Solveitschik would go through the roll call. Can you imagine 100 names on a daily basis? He wanted to get to know you by name. Somehow he couldn't get my name straight. I don't know why. My first name is Azaria, but he would call it Azaria. And this was going on like years and years. And finally, like in year four, I figured I have a little seniority in the class. I said, Rebbe, my name is Azaria. Oh, Azaria. Of course, the next day he came in, he called me Azaria again. (laughs) Didn't help very much. Now, what we're going to study today is that before every holiday, he would take a break, so to speak, from our regular... Regiment, and he would speak about the holiday. So when Pesach came around, he would give us a class, maybe even two classes about Pesach. And he would try to give us an insight into the Hagodesh of Pesach. So if you have here on page seven, we have, maybe you know the song, it's on the top, bottom right, called "Hal Lachma Anya." This is the poor man's bread, which our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. And then we say, let anyone who is hungry come in and eat. In a word, this is an invitation. Does anybody know what mitzvah a person fulfills when he invites a guest to his house? Excellent. Hafnasat or Now, Hachnasat or Chib, to invite guests, is a great, great mitzvah. And it's really interesting because, you know, we're reading now in the Torah about the building of the, who can help me out here, the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a structure in which we invite the Almighty God to be our guest. And in fact, the law is that when we raise the funds to build a Mishkan, there's no compulsion. We cannot compel a person to come forward with money to pay for the building of the mission, Because the Torah says, at the beginning of Parashas Tchum, it says, Mikol ish asher yidvenu libo, es chumosin. From any person whose heart prompts him, you will receive the contribution. So it's got to be that your heart prompts you to come forward and offer this contribution. And Rav asked the question, why? You know, we think of Judaism as democratic, but the truth is, if you learn halacha, Judaism is not very democratic. And if a person refuses to fulfill his obligations, there's halacha called kofen osam al We can compel a person for a mitzvah. And it's not pleasant. But eventually, we'll get him to do the mitzvah. But when it comes to building the mishkan, there's no compulsion we cannot coerce a person to come forward and offer his contribution to build the Mishkan. Rav Salvechik asked why. Why is this mitzvah the exception to all the other commands where we can coerce a person? There's no coercion. The Torah says, it's got to be your heart that prompts you. So Rav Salvechik gave the following simile, a musha. He said, let's say one of you ladies would have to get, a meal for Shabbos, correct? You don't, you don't, you, haven't gotten an invitation. That probably never happened to any of you because they're waiting online to invite you for Shabbos, right? But did, it, did you ever have a situation where you needed an invitation? So you have two choices now. You could call up that person, the potential host, and you could wait for an invitation. The other possibility is that you show up at that door on Shabbos or whatever it is, and as we say in Yiddish, ich bin du, I'm here. Whether you like it or not, I'm your guest. Obviously, which of the two methods are more convenient, more comfortable? The first, I mean, you want to get an invitation. So God says, you know what? I'm not going to coerce myself upon, I'm not going to coerce you to be your guest. If you want me to be your guest, then you have to build the mishkan. But you have to want me to be close to you. I can be up in the highest spheres. In the olama al And that's fine, God says. You know, we could have a long-distance relationship. You ladies are probably too young to remember what we we called in our youth a long-distance call. Do you remember that? Do you have anybody? You know, what happens is if, let's say, I'm in New York and I want to call Chicago, and it's a long-distance call. So in those days, you have to get the operator on the phone, and the operator would put through a long-distance call. And God says, you know what? We can have a long-distance relationship. That's fine. But if you want a closer relationship, you want a more intimate relationship, then invite me into a house that you will build and you will be my host. But you have to want to do it on your own because otherwise I'm not going to say if Bindu, I'm here whether you like it or not. I'm not going to compel myself upon So this is the great mitzvah of Hachnosas Orchid. Of inviting people to your home. This mitzvah applies on which day of the calendar year? You have 365 choices. Can you choose one day on which you're obligated to invite guests? It's all 365 days. There's not a moment in time. I was just fooling you. There's there's not a moment in time in which you're exempt from this mitzvah. If you have the wherewithal, you have a house and you have a guest that you can invite, you're obligated to invite that guest. And it's a great mitzvah. It's an amazing mitzvah. And the first person in Jewish history to fulfill that mitzvah was none other than Abraham together with his wife, Sarah. And Chazal say that when the three passes by, came by, Abraham was in the middle of receiving the Almighty. That's called Kabbalah's Shechina. The Shechina came to him three days after his Mila, in order to be in Vakachol, in order to give him a you know a, a good up feeling. And Avraham said to God, you know what, God, can we take a break a little bit? You know, I have three possible Arachim here. And the Gemara tells us that the acceptance of Arachim is a mitzvah that supersedes even Kabbalah's Pnei Shechina even accepting a communion with the Almighty. So this is a great mitzvah that applies 365 days of the year. If you have an opportunity to invite a guest, it's a tremendous opportunity. Don't lose out on it. Now, one of you answered that this mitzvah applies on the night of Pesach. But I would deny that. I would fight you tooth and nail. This is not a Pesach mitzvah. This is a mitzvah that applies the whole year round. And Rav Soloveitchik was wondering why on the night of Pesach, we don't find this on Sukkot, we don't find this on Shavuot, we don't find it on Hanukkah or Purim, we don't find an invitation called Dichvin Yeseh V'yechol. Let any person who's in need come and join. Now, ladies, let me ask you another question. Is there anyone here who buys matzah for Pesach, anybody, by show of hands? You do? Do you get shmura matzah? Get hand shmura matzah. Oh, that's expensive. Oh, that's like, you know, up in the sky. You know, that's, that's, that's very expensive. Now, you have a poor person, and he can't afford to buy matzah. And you are the host. You have Baruch Hashem, God blessed you. You have plenty of matzah to offer. So you invite someone, you don't even know who's going to come, but an open invitation, anyone who needs to join me and break matzah with me, free of charge. We're not even going to charge you for it. We got plenty of matzah for you. So that matzah is very expensive. And therefore, on the night of Pesach, there are a lot of poor people who are destitute that cannot afford matzah. You want to invite them into your table in order to facilitate their ability to fulfill their mitzvah of matzah. Suraf so Soloveitchik says the following, mind bugger. He says the following, if you eat matzah on the night of Pesach, And you fail to invite someone, a poor person, who needs your matzah because you have plenty of matzah to spare. Then you have not fulfilled your mitzvah of matzah. Did you hear this? You heard it now, but I'm saying, did you hear what I said now? Did it go in? I ate my matzah. No, no, no. You didn't fulfill your mitzvah of matzah. And to understand this, we have to understand Hebrew grammar. Biblical grammar: When the Torah commands you to eat something, it says "yochal." But there's something called reflexive, and that's in in the Hebrew grammar called "ye'achel." When the Torah commands us to eat matzah, it doesn't say "eat the matzah." It says "ye'achel." I can write this on the on the whiteboard if you like. "Ye'achel." Do we have any? Uh... Writing material? Yeah. Oh, it's odd the thing. Which color do you prefer, girls? Orange is so purple? <laughs> Everyone in favor of the purple one, raise your hand. You yeah. yeah. got it. Right? Yay yeah. or hell. So the gun of Vilna, not of Vienna, of Vilna ask the question, why does the Torah say hell The Torah should have used the proper grammatical yo'chal, which is the active form to describe eating. You are commanded to eat matzah. No, hell The matzah should be eaten. In the causative. So the answer is, I have to make sure that others will eat matzah. It's not enough that I eat the matzah. My mitzvah is not a complete fulfillment unless I see to it that others eat matzah. This is the particular chibush, the inside of matzah that makes matzah unique on the entire, shall we say, constellation of mitzvahs and it doesn't apply to any other mitzvah. So if I sit in the sukkah on Pesah, on sukkahs, and I didn't invite you to sit in the sukkah, I still fulfill my mitzvah sukkah. I may have missed out on the mitzvah of HaKnot HaSarachim, but at least the mitzvah sukkah I have fulfilled but not so in the case of matzah. So, the opening line in the Haggadah is the invitation to our to come and participate in our table and eat the matzah. We're going to afford them, we're going to, pre- we're going to present them and provide them with matzah. And that's our obligation. So, we are saying this line fulfill your obligation? well i would assume that this line has to come a little bit earlier you know the, the Haggadah placed it here but you know on the night of pesach it's a little bit late to start inviting guests you find know me mean? hopefully everyone is set by then so imagine on the night of the say there you're going to open up your door and say hey anybody out there you know <laughs> please come and join me but sometimes what the Baal Haggadah does is he takes a piece which really applies even before Pesach. I'll prove to you this in a minute. And he attaches it here to the leil ased, and that's the next piece in our God. Do you see where it says called Ditzrich Yesevi Yifsa? You see that? Hello, anybody home? No, we're on page seven. We haven't moved from the spot. So it says called Ditzrich. I don't know if you use the. What does that mean? So forget about the English translation here because it's just going to confuse you. What we're talking about is the Carbon Pesach. Right at the time that we had a Beit HaMikdash, we had to eat the meat of the Carbon Pesach on the night of Pesach, at the Seder table. In fact, at that time period, one of the Manashtana of the child's curiosity is, why are we eating roast meat on this night? You know, other nights we cooked meat, you know, broiled meat, anything. But now we're eating sli, what's called sli. Anyway, now in order to eat from the carbon Pesach, maybe I'll use the board again, you need what's called minu. What does minu'i mean? Minu'i means that you have to be designated together with a group of people, all of whom will bring one lamb together as partners. So we create a partnership through minu, And we gather together a group. Let's say we're neighbors. And we're going to take the lamb, the pastor lamb, and we're going to cut it down into pieces. Each piece will have to be a minimum of a kisayit, an olive size worth. And we're all part of one group. And that group is called a kaburah. Now, what happens if you're all alone at the Pesach Seder? There's no kaburah. The Ramam writes that you could fulfill the mitzvah of Achilas haPesach of eating the Paschal lamb, even if you're alone, but not preferable. It's what we call bidiyavad. It's not L'Chadchila. Chadchila means the best way to do it is to make sure that you have at least one other partner to create a Chabura, at least a group made up of minimum of two people. And the Haggadah here is telling us that you better invite someone else to join you in this pesa, And that's called, in the Aramaic language, called Ditsrich. If there's anyone out there who's not part of a Chaburah, and therefore ditsrich, he needs to join a group, yese, let him come in, the Yifsa, and let him be part of our group so he can eat the carbon pesa. The Yifsa is an a verb, the noun of which is Pesach, meaning the carbon Pesach, the Paschal lamb. Now, it's impossible that this would take place at the night of Pesach, because Minui to be part of a chabura is a requirement before the shechita, before the slaughtering of the animal, which took place midday on the 14th, minimum of six day, six hours earlier. Then before you can even begin to start the seder, but the Bala God is telling us, He's admonishing us: You better get yourself a buddy, you better get yourself a partner to join you in the minu. If you're all alone, because the mitzvah of carbon Pesach in its ideal form requires that you have a chabura, and this is how Rav Saloveitchik used to. Introduce the first paragraph of the god Now let me ask you a question. Again, I'm just trying to feel out what you know, what you don't know. We want to remember the Exodus from Egypt, correct? And that's what this night of the 15th of Nisan is all about. Do we have a command, a mitzvah, to remember the exodus from Egypt on any other day or any other night besides the night of Pesach? Excellent. And that's called the mitzvah of Zechirat, Yitziat, Mitzrayim. Okay, that's abbreviated Yitziat, Mitzrayim, Zechirat, right? Remember Remember, right, the redemption. However, on this night of Pesach, we have a special mitzvah. What's that special mitzvah called? Havoc. It's called Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. Wait, were you saying that we always have a mitzvah to remember? Right, it's the hero, the whole year round. Every day and every night. And basically, that mitzvah is incorporated into Kriyachma. Because in the third of the three sections of Kriyachma, we end up by saying, we acknowledge that the Almighty took us out of the shrine. And we do this twice a day in Kriyachma, and we fulfill the mitzvah of Zechirat Yitzhak Mitzrayan. So our salvation was very confused. He said, wait a minute, if we have a mitzvah to remember Mitzrayan the whole year round, What's the special, unique mitzvah on the night of Pesach of steeper Yitziat Mitzrayim? You hear the question? The whole year round we have to remember Mitzrayim. Why, why Why? do you tell me that on this night, and by the way, you know, the Raman counts 613 mitzvot. He enumerates them all. And in the counting, he's going to have a special mitzvah for the night of Pesach called Sthipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. And he's going to derive that from a passage in Parshad's bow in the second of the five books of Moses, the Gadata And that word Vigadata is the source for the name of what we have in front of us, namely the Hadgadah, Vigadatah, Hadgadah. It's a special mitzvah. Only applies one night of the year. But wait a minute. We have a mitzvah of Zahira, Sitzhi, that applies the whole, the whole year. What do he say? Oh, I was hoping you'd give me an answer. <laughs> Maybe your question will lead us to an answer. The gathering for the... For the oh, the gathering, the chabura, that, yeah. that kind of clan or group. <laughs> That's what I tried to explain, yeah. that this introduction to the Haggadah was actually recited much earlier. Yeah. Like, for example, no, not the whole Agada, but this introduction, the introduction called Ha Lachma Anya, which you'll see a paragraph here on the right side of page seven, that was recited. No, it's, It was attached to the Agada only because it's an educational process by which we understand how important it is to invite guests and allow them to eat the matzah, how important it is to invite others to join in your Kabur, in your group to eat the peta. But I have to admit to you that on the night of Tesla, it's a little bit late to start running around looking for guests or looking for someone who's not money. He's not actually linked up as a partner to a group. So really, this is a mandate or that enjoins us much earlier than Tesla, to run around and look for guests and make sure that they have matzo, to run around and look for someone who will join you in the corporate like... If, if you're a person, like you're not having your own theater, but you're invited to someone else, does it mean like, how are you fulfilling the mitzvah if someone else is giving you the matzah, you're like the... Correct. So it means that someone who has the wherewithal to share his matzah is obligated to do so. Other people are destitute. They don't have the funds. They can't, so they want to be a guest at your house and eat your matzah. That's something different. We're talking about someone who has the ability to Invite others to eat the mat. Okay then? But let's get back to my question. Can anybody answer this question? Why do we need a mitzvah on the night of Pesach of Sipor Yitzia's mitzrayim if we have a mitzvah the whole year round of Zechira's mitzrayim? Can anybody answer that? Again, is the question clear? I don't know. I'm looking at the faces here trying to read the... How many people understood the question? Only one? Oh, you did understand the question. Yeah, what, why? What, what? We remember Yitzinus Mitzrayim twice a day okay, the whole year round, three hundred sixty-five days. Yeah, telling it can help us teach it to others and continue. Passing. Excellent. Zechiras Yitzinus Mitzrayim, what what applies the whole year round? Says Rav Salavich, is only a private mitzvah. In other words, it only applies to me. I am not obligated to share this information and broadcast it. And teach it and transmit it to others. But on this night, which is called the night of Sthipar Yetzirah Mitzrayim, I am obligated to teach and transmit. We're going to soon see that the Rambam writes that if you don't have anyone to teach, you got to teach yourself. What does that mean to teach yourself? That's how do you teach yourself something? right? Correct, but how do you talk to yourself? There's a specific way of talking to yourself. Excellent. You have to ask yourself the questions. And not only that, but Rav Salvechik is going to claim that when you offer answers to this question, you're not going to offer some stale answers, you know, some uh, classic standard answers that you, you, you said last year or the year before. Every year, you're going to be required to try to be mit'amek. ameik means to go deeper and deeper. to teach it, to share it with others. And we'll see that the whole night of Pesach is all about pedagogy. And that's why we start the there with what's called tibul. What is tibul? Tibul is when you take a vegetable, what do you do with it? You dip it. Now, if you go to a restaurant, for example, not far from here is one of my favorite fish restaurants. I don't get a commission for this. It. Mm-hmm. It's called Shirat Hayam. Anyway. The first thing they give you are dips. Yeah, but when they bring out the dips, they bring out bread. They have a wonderful way of preparing pitot with olive oil and, and garlic. I mean, it's, it's very, I'm getting hungry ready. You know, Just thinking of it. <laughs> if I, I get in my last, my last comments before Pesach, before it becomes vata only, you know what I mean? Anyway, so usually back in the day, and even today it's probably true, the dips are actually presented or served Within the context of a meal, you don't start the meal and you're not even ready for the matzah. In fact, we're probably not going to break bread, meaning matzah, for another hour or maybe two hours. It depends how long you allow for the reading of our goddha. But it's only after we finish our goddha that we wash for matzah. So we're way, way before mozi matzah. We're at the very beginning and we're already dipping. Why are we dipping? What's the answer to that question? Why are we dipping? And the answer is because we want you to ask, why are we dipping? The question itself is the answer. We're trying to arouse the curiosity of the children by showing them that there's some oddities about this night. And that's going to lead them, hopefully, if they're curious enough, to ask the Manashtana. I don't know if they'll get all four of the questions of the Manashtana, but at least some of them. They'll figure out, hey, there's something strange going on here this night. And once they ask the question, they set us up for the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of answering that question. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know the names here. Um, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. My name's not. I understood the concept of like you want to get them to questions, but like I feel like in modern day culture, every every Seder, like the kids learn, like you have to ask these questions. And, and I feel like it all is very stale, where like, like it says not matter. you have to do this, you have to do that. So like, I'll be honest with you. In my humble opinion, and I'm not trying to cast this version on any school or education or whatever, but your children did not know the answers to the question. If you're lucky, they'll remember the question. Yeah, you know, we have a custom in our say there. Again, it depends on who's at a Seder table to recite the questions in four different languages. Yeah, you know, so we have one young lady who knows Spanish. So she'll ask it in Spanish. We have another young lady who knows Hebrew very well. So she'll ask it in Hebrew. A third who knows it in English. A fourth who knows it in Yiddish. Actually, my wife, her first language was Yiddish. So she'll ask the four questions in Yiddish. And that takes us back like a century in time. It's like really exciting. And the main, you know, this is a major, major part of the Haggadah. Rav Salvechik points out that the entire experience of the Haggadah is all about pedagogy. It's all about teaching and transmitting the Torah and understanding the Torah on the deepest level possible. In fact, Rav Salavachi had a very fascinating insight. Let's see if I could find it here. On page 16. Again, if you have this Haggadah. And you'll see a paragraph in the middle of that page that starts with the word baruch. Do you see that? Now, baruch is always the first word in a bracha. And every mitzvah requires a bracha. Just one second. I'm sorry, my mistake. Page twelve. You see the word Baruch, on page twelve, the first major paragraph. Okay. Yeah. Baruch Baruch Hu. He translates, "Blessed is the All." like right, This is an ancient translation. What what year was this published? <laughs> I mean, it does say Chappelle College, so it can't be 100 years ago. Oh, I think it says 1983 by Yeshaya Kolinsky. Wow, Rabbi Kolinsky. I don't know. He yeah. <laughs> oh, I see Rabbi Hirschberg. I don't see. where's where? Oh, there he is, all the way in the back. Oh. Wow, he's bold even then? Well, okay. Anyway. <laughs> So here we have a Haggadah that's 40 years old to the day. Am I right? Yeah. My math is not that good. Correct me. 40 years old. So I don't know. It says here, all included. Uh, I, I have no clue where he got that from, but I'm sure Robert Kolinsky knew what he was talking about. <laughs> anyway, Baruch HaMoko Baruch Hu. Or formulation of a bracha. Now, what mitzvah are we reciting a bracha on? Look at the next line Barak Shanastan Torah LiAmo Yisrael. Which mitzvah is being indicated here as part of this bracha? Is it significant that, that Makom is used? Okay, that's an excellent question. I don't know how to answer that right now. I can again quote Rav Salvechik in a different context, but I'm just asking because I'm trying to lead up to a certain point here. What mitzvah are we talking about here? Baruch HaMokom baruchu, blessed be the Almighty, who has commanded us in what mitzvah? Right. To learn Torah. Shinnosan Torah liyama Yisrael. So if salvation gets the obvious question, every morning we thank the Almighty for giving us Torah. And we recite one, two, three on the on the Torah and the Torah study. Why on the night of Pesach are we adding another bracha in which we thank Hashem for giving us the Torah? We've already done that in the morning. Says Rav Vejik. on this night we have a special mitzvah of Talmud Torah. In addition to the universal all-year-round mitzvah, the Gisa Bo Yom HaValaila, we should be studying the Torah day and night. We have a special mitzvah of studying the Torah on this night. And how do we fulfill this mitzvah? Number one, with questions and answers. The best way of achieving transmission of knowledge in general, and certainly Torah knowledge in particular, is through question and answer. Not only that, there are four sons. Why are we interested in four sons? So this is a principle. Again, I'm not going to write this on the board if anyone wants to follow me. Chanoch l'nar which means... That Talmud Torah has to be has to fit the particular needs of the individual. Right? If you take any courses in education, the philosophy of education, this is like the basics. But it comes from here, it comes from god A lot of things in secular knowledge actually have their roots, their origins in Torah knowledge. And in Torah knowledge is a principle which we derive from Shlomamila, and that's called Kanochlinar al No two people are taught in the same way. Everyone receives his own transmission of Torah. And since on this night of Pesach, the main focus, the emphasis here on this night is education, is teaching, is transmitting Torah, then we have to know who we're teaching. And how many different categories does the Balad to give us? Four categories. And in each category is a different, a different approach as to how to teach you. The most fascinating approach, by the way, if I say so myself, is the She'eno Yodea Lishal. Are you familiar with that? He's the fourth of the fourth son. And according to Rabbi Kalinsky, he's the one who wits not to ask. This is English from 40 years ago. Who wits not to ask. Okay, basically he knows He doesn't know how to ask, okay, (laughs) in simple English. So Now, I have a question for you. This of the four sons doesn't know how to ask a question. And we said that the mitzvah of pedagogy of teaching and its ideal is through question and answer. So what do we do in this case? The child does not have the intellectual capacity (laughs) or maybe doesn't have the background and the knowledge to ask a question. So what do we do? We answer the question without us asking, right? But look at the answer of the Baal God What do you do in this case? At psakhla. Ladies, you know anything about Hebrew grammar? And ask a question here. What's strange about the words at psakhla? Or just for that matter, the word at? What do you say? At. <laughs> Excellent. It's in the feminine. If you were speaking to a man, you would ask, you would write "atta" with a hey at the end. Why does the Balagot choose to use the word at in the feminine? He wrote Say it again. The wrote, he wrote God is a compilation of probably centuries of Tanoim and Amaroim are the great scholars over the generations that at some point in time were compiled into the Haggadahs we have. It. But it's really many different authors, all of which were great Talmudic uh, Chacham, great scholars. If you're interested in the history of the Haggadah, there's a rabbi from Harnoff, which is up the block here, who wrote his PhD thesis at Bar-Ilan University on the creation of the Haggadah. How did it you develop over centuries an entire PhD thesis. What's his name? It'll come to me in a minute. Yeah, go ahead. You learned that like the Excellent, beautiful. Again, if you weren't a female, I would get up and shake your hand. Because <laughs> that's an excellent, excellent answer. Zucker and the cave: male and female. In the writings of our rabbis, are representative of a concept, of an abstract concept, has nothing to do with an individual woman or an individual man. It has to do with the way a union is created between a man and a woman, in which a man is active, so to speak, and a woman is passive. Without going into detail, you can understand what I mean. Now, in education, here's the question. You can be active as a teacher, and that for sure is required. You can't just be passive. But you can also be pa- passive as a teacher. How can you be passive as a teacher? Can okay. you find this and any questions so they get you an
1: well, I
0: would agree with you at 90%. I just want to make one wow. little lamentation. I would say the following, that the greatest pedagogy is when you can evoke a question from the audience, from the student. Wow. So make yourself into an act. Don't be totally, you know, this is one of the great challenges of Jewish education. I'm facing that challenge right now in this classroom because I'm supposed to present to you Rav Soloveitchik's insights into the, into the Agada, which already puts me in an active position and makes you passive. But the greatest education is art. When you're teaching the child, you evoke, I had a Rebbe when I was 14 years old. Rabbi Michael Heft, may live and be well till 120. You know? No, anyway, Rabbi Michael Heft, who by the way at Yeshiva University heads up the pre-law discipline. Anyway, he was my Rebbe, I was 14 years old. It was like amazing. What he would do is he would present the Gemaritas slowly, step by step. We were 14-year-old little kids, and he said just enough to ask a question or evoke a question. There were 20 hands, shot up, and everybody wanted the opportunity to be the first one. to. There's a forty I still remember today. That's called Apsachla. What you do is you evoke the question or the answer from the child, and the the. The greatness of this is that you give that child just enough of a clue without feeding him the answer so that he's going to ask the question or maybe even give you the answer, as you said before. So, what is the mitzvah of this night that we call Sepra Yitzhak Mitzrayim and is so radically different, fundamentally different than Zechira remembering Mitzrayim the whole year round? This night is a mitzvah of what? Of Talmud and Torah, of teaching Torah. We're going to make a special bracha. We're going to thank Hashem for giving us the Torah. And moreover, we're going to teach the Torah relative to the needs or the abilities or the character of each one of our students. And we're going to divide it up into four categories. And not only that, it's even more far-reaching. And that is, if you take a look, on page 17, okay? This is amazing. Now, on line five, let's count it. One, two, three, four, five. Can you tell me, I'm just going to test you, what is the last word on line five on page seven? Yeah. Well, I'm saying you're counting five lines down from the top of the page. Oh, I see. It's called in this Haggadah. I don't know if you know, it's called say Ulaman. Say. Say. I'll say it again. Say. I'm getting sort of, I feel like a parrot. Yeah, anyway, again, I, I'm not sure if you give me your Haggadah, it could be it's not. It, oh, this is the one? This one you're using? Okay. Yeah, Let's see if we can find it. I'm not sure if it'll start with the word say. Here. Oh, it does start with it. page 32. You know how in some synagogues when they announce the pages, they announce it in three or four different versions depending on what chumish uh-huh. you're using. Anyway, so that's on page 32. Now, if you look on page 32, I want you to see if you could find a Hebrew word that is the translation of, as it said. What's that Hebrew word? Shenema, exactly. Shenema, which again, in this old time, I got it from 40 years ago. on so page 17, line 5, Shenema. Now what comes after the Shenema? Whenever you see the word Shenema, as it says, then what follows is a passage. A passage from the Bible, or from Tanakh. So which passage does he quote? Rami Oved Ovi. Okay, now this Haggadah is not going to help me much, but where is Arami Oved Ovi in the Torah? In the Torah, where are you going to find? It? Okay, a good guess, but wrong answer. Let me just give you the right answer because we're going to be pressed for times. The parsha is called. I'll write it out on the board, and now we're going to use a different color just for. Mikra bikurim. Okay. And this is in Parsha's Kitavo. Anybody know which of the five books of Moses Kitavo is in? Dvarim. Excellent. The last of the five. And the Torah tells you that when you bring bikurim, who can tell me quickly what Bikurim is? Are first fruits. When you bring your first fruits too the Beit HaMikdash, you have to recite an entire parasha, the entire section of the Torah, which appears in Kitavo. and that's called Arami Oved Avi. okay? Okay, I don't know if you can read my chicken scratch, but anyway, Arami Oved Ovi. So if you look on page 17, you'll see it says Shenemar, what's after Shenemar? Arami Oved Ovi, that's a parsha, but Mikur Bikurim, Now, vikra b'kurim is a nice mitzvah. It's counted in the 613. But what does it have to do with the night of Pesach? And the Torah requires that when a person brings his new fruits to the Beit HaMikdach, he recites an entire section that goes through every part of Jewish history, leading up to entering into the land of Israel. So this entire period of Jewish history begins with whom? What's the beginning of Jewish history? Well, even before Yaakov, Avram. Avira. So, we're going to go back to Avram, we're going to talk about the Avot, we're going to talk about the, and then we're going to finally culminate in entering into the Limb. In between, there's an entire section made up of four verses that describes Mitzrayim. It describes the servitude, the slavery of Mitzrayim, and the redemption from it. But now I have a very, very tough question, which I don't expect you to answer, but if you do, that's great. Are we going to simply recite those pesukim verbatim, or are we going to go beyond that? Obviously, if I'm asking the question, it means we're going to go beyond that. What does it mean to go beyond reading pesukim? Okay, so now I have to ask you the question: How many Torahs do we have? One, two. I mean, both one, two. We have two. Okay, and they're fundamentally different. One is called Torah. and the other and the other is called Torah So this is the written Torah and this is the oral Torah. Now, the oral Torah requires the, the written Torah requires the oral Torah. What does that mean? You cannot be satisfied with the written Torah because basically if you read the Torah, you won't understand it. You need what's called drasha. What does the word drasha mean? I'm not talking about a sermon of you know given by Rabbi before Muslim. Drasha means to interpret, to interpret the law, to interpret the verse. And this is exactly what we're gonna do, says Rav Salvadhik, on the night of Pesach. Because take a look what happens. If you're on page 17, or what, what page is it? We said there, 32. What did we say? Yeah. yeah. So what you'll see is, after the word Shednamar, it says, Avi, So we have here a series of, of verses from the Torah. What comes after that? We go back to the beginning of Vayered Mitzrayma. And we have a paragraph here called Vayeret mitzrayma Then we go on to Vayogor Then And we have a whole paragraph about Vayogor Then we have a paragraph about Ma'at. What are we doing here on this night? Which word on the board that I that you might have noticed? Jerasha. We're going through Jerasha, which is what kind of Torah? Torah Shemal Peh. Why are we doing this? And the answer is because this is the night of Talmud Torah. This is the night of the study of Torah. And you cannot study the Torah by reading verses. You've got to interpret those verses. You've got to integrate two Toros into one. Namely, Torah Shebech together with Torah al And that's what we're going to do on this night. The night of petach is all about Torah. It's all about the study of Torah. In fact, if we go back to the Chacham, again you'll have to tell me what page start of the art school I go to, but here in Rabbi Kolinsky's I go to it's on page 12 28. What do we answer the Chacham? or Merlo Which word do I want to emphasize? Hilchot. Do you see that word Hilchot? Wait a minute. Halacha? On the night of Petzach, we're going to study Halakha? You know, maybe we should take out a Mishneh or if you're a Sephardi, or Yalkut Yosef, or I don't know, uh, Ben Ishchai, I don't know what. We're going to have many Halakha compendiums. Is this the appro- appropriate involvement or dedication on this night to study halacha? The answer is yes, absolutely. Because there's no such thing as studying Torah without halacha. And again, we're going to look for any halachot that are relevant. To the night of Pesach, like for example, which by the way has to do with the cover Pesach, and we're going to teach it again. We're not going to teach it to the other three sons because they're not ready for that. But the Chacham who's asking the question Ma eDu mishpatim, he doesn't understand. We're sitting here at the at the seder table and we're eating roast meat. Like, give it a break. Like, what's this all about? But he knows how to classify the mitzvah He's got one category called dut, another category called Chukim, a third category called Mishpatim. This is a very incisive young man who really understands that the mitzvot are divided up into categories. Such a person, we can learn halakha, We can study Halakha. And Rav salvation finds a very, somewhat obscure source called the Tosefta. And the Tosefta tells us that on the night of Pesach, we should be studying halacha. Maybe I'll find it for you, just to read it to you. Again, it won't be here in the Agoda, but a lot of what Rab Salvechik said about that Agoda came from other, from other sources. Listen to this. Again, I'll read it in the Hebrew, and then I'll try to translate. Okay? It's, this is a source called the Mechilta. The Mechilta goes back to the time of the Tanoim, like the time of the Mishnah. And the Mechilta says the following, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, a statement of Rabbi Eliezer. Minayin, how do we know? If the group at the stater table was they were students of Torah. They should be studying the laws of Pesach. Ar Chatzot, until midnight. And this he derives from the Pesach that we read earlier, a Eidut, on this night we have to study Hilchot HaPesah. This to me, as a student of Rav Salvation, was the most radical thing I heard from him. I couldn't believe it. He's telling me that on this night of Pesach I should be learning Hilchot HaPesah. Up until Chatzot Laila. Now, let's take a look at Mice of Rebelozo and see if we can understand what's going on over here. Now, where is Mice of Rebelozo? Let's see. Here it is on page 10. Again, you'll have to tell me what page it's on in the article. Does anybody see that word Masa? Okay. Yeah. Bringing the fruit. So right. does have to be Because when a person brings his Bikurim, he has to go through in his recitation of Mikra Bikurim all the history of how our forefathers went down to Mitzrayim and they were a small group over there. And then, and all the different nuances about Mitzrayim are there in a very compact way in four verses mm-hmm. in Parsha's Kitabo. Correct. Now, again, Rav Salvechik has more to say about this. I'll say it very quickly because I want to get back to the mice of the story here on page 10. And Rav Salvechik said that, is there any connection between Bikurim and the recitation that's outlined there in Parsha's Tavo and the mitzvah of Sipra Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim? And he came up with a fascinating idea. I'm not going to go through all his proofs, but he said that the mitzvah of cpt Yitzchid has two parts to it. One part is Talmud Torah, as we said before, the study of Torah. And that's a transmission in a pedagogic way. And then there's another dimension to the mitzvah of Sipri Yitzchid And that is to talk about the miracles and to thank and recognize the greatness, to appreciate the miracles. That's called in Lashon Kodas, that's called hakarat meaning I express my gratitude. So Rav Salvechik says that on this night, we have to express gratitude for Yitziat Mitzrayim. But we don't know how to do that. We don't know which Torah should be studied on this night in order to achieve an expression of gratitude. We know that it has to be a Torah that's related to Mitzrayim to Yitziat mitzrayim, to the redemption. But where in the Torah will I find a fulfillment of expressing thanks for Yitziat Mitzrayim? And what's the answer? Mikor Bikur. When a person brings his first fruits to the Beit HaMikdash, he has to express his thanks. He has to recognize and appreciate the great miracles that took place that God took a nation out of Mitzrayim, brought them into the land of Israel, and now we were able to plant and harvest our crop and bring our fruits to the Beit So that's called Yalfinan Hasosum Min amafurash. In other words, we look for something that's explicit in the Torah in order to fill in the missing blanks when something is not, it's not revealed in the Torah. Rabbi Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi So how many Tanoim do we have here in this list? Anybody want to take a quick count? Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lozben Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Tarf. Five. We've got five scholars. And where were they? In B'nei Okay. I have a lot to say about that, but not for now. Anyway. So what were they doing on the night of Pesach? How you must stop me at Mitzrayim. They were fulfilling the mitzvahs of Sthipa Yedithi Mishraim. Okay. When does that mitzvah get fulfilled? Now, at some point, I fulfilled my obligation, discharged my duty, and that's it. Now I'm exempt. And what's the answer? Kolo to They continued speaking about Mishraim for the entire night until their students came by and said, you know what, Dawn, it's time for Kriyachmah. And that's when they terminated Kippur Yitzhi Yitzhi Now, on this list, the one person that I want to focus on is Rabbalah Zubin Azaria. Not just because I like his father's name. (laughs) It's my name. But because Rabbalah Zubin Azaria is of the opinion that basically everything shuts down at chatzot, at midnight. Why did he come to that conclusion? Because he was of the opinion that the carbon pesach had to be eaten before chatzot, before midnight. That's why you may know that in the haggadah they'll tell you. I don't know if do this haggadah that you have to be very careful to eat the afikoman, which is the last matzah that we eat as a replacement of the carbon pesach, which we don't have today. Eat it before midnight. And you see, in some calendars they'll tell you exactly when midnight is based on shows Manios on the calendar, and make sure to eat the Afikom before midnight. Anyway, that's all based on Rabbi and Azariah because the Korma Pesach had to be eaten before midnight. Now, if Sipa Yitzias Mitzrayim means to learn the laws of the mitzvahs of this night, then at what point should that mitzvah be terminated and completed according to Rabbi and Azariah? At because at that point there's no longer a mitzvah of carbon pesach. So if the entire sefer yitziat mitzrayim revolves around the mitzvah of carbon pesach, and we're going to see later on that Rabbi Gamaliel says that we have to explain the carbon pesach because God jumped over the so forth. So therefore, the mitzvah sefer yitziat mitzrayim should have terminated at er chatzot. And yet, Rabbi Lozeman and was one of the five scholars who was involved in Sefer shrine Call Oso What does it mean? All the way through the night, way past chatzot, past midnight until the break of dawn. Is that, is that, how the story is like it's those oh. So, Rabbi Salvechik says the following: There are two dimensions to the midst of Sefer shrine. There's one that's pure Talmud Torah. The study of Torah we have to learn, as we saw before in the Mechilta, the laws of Pesach. That mitzvah could only be fulfilled as long as the, lo- the mitzvahs that we're learning about apply. Like, for example, according to Rabbi and Azariah, if you were to learn the laws of Karm Pesach after Chatzos, that would be like learning on the night of Pesach the laws of Purim or I mean, after Chatzos, the Karm Pesach has no relevance anymore. You've already passed the determination. But there's another dimension to Sipur Yitzis Mitzrayim, and that is to tell the story, to appreciate the miracles. That element of telling the story and thanking Hashem for all the great, for the redemption, that mitzvah applies throughout the entire night. So, although, according to Rabbi Ben Azaria, when they got to Chatzos, they stopped learning the laws of Pesach, but they continued the Sipur Yitzis Mitzrayim as Sipur to study the great miracles that that occurred at the time of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. Now, the Rambam has something interesting. The Rambam, in the seventh chapter of the Laws of Pesach, tells us about this special mitzvah of Sipra Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. And he goes through an entire list of three elements that are absolutely critical in Yitzhia's mitzvah. And three principles that apply to this mitzvah. The, pers- the first principle is what's called Maschil Bignus U-Messayim Let me explain that. If you take a look on page 14, okay, 14, You'll see the word mitzvah in bold print. And we go back to the fact that our forefathers were idol worshipers. Do you see that? And then we have another paragraph that starts also there on page 14. Where is it? I don't see it now. Can somebody help me find it? I a you know, if I did my unit, where's that? Yeah. yeah. On page 14. I don't know if you, me you said I'm not finding it. It's 26 in the other room. Okay, so you have to give me the other book. I think I'll give it back. 26. Yeah. How come he doesn't have it here? I must have missed it. Immediately after four questions? I don't know, maybe you can find it for yeah. me. That's a reply. Maybe this is an abridged version. I don't know. Oh, yeah, let's see. Here. You got it? Mm-hmm. No, okay. I was on the wrong page. Let me get this back. So this is called Maskil Big Maskil Maskel means that we start with the down, you know, the comments down, we were slaves, or even if we go back in, in history, we were uh, idol worshippers. So that's the first requirement that the Ramam has. Then the Ram goes on and says, So we have to. Read the parash of the Avi, which we said came from Hitavo, and he has to darshan the entire part Then he writes, HaMosef Umarich, Umarich Zu Fine. So these are the three elements. Number one, to begin with Gnus, you know, with the negative, uh, the negative, and then go to the positive. Number two, to darshan the entire parash of Arami and number three to add and expand as much as possible. Then the Ramam says the following: "Udvarim elukulam." And all that I, I discussed and I presented it till now. Nikraim. Who can guess what the next word in the ramam is going to be? I would have expected it to say Nikraim Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, because the ramam opens up this chapter by saying Mitzvata Seul Sapir Mitzrayim. But no. The Ram says, Elukulam Nikraim hagoda." Why does the Ramah feel compelled to give it a name? The name is Haggadah. Why don't you simply call it Sipriz Mitzrayan? Which is the Ram's own formulation when he opens up his this, and presents this mitzvah. So Rav Salvation has an amazing finish here. He quotes a Apostle. Maybe you're familiar with this puzzle Ko Tomar Yaakov V'tagid israel. That posse is addressing I think it's in Parshish Yisrael, is addressing the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Teach the Torah. But what word does the Torah use? V'tagid which is a, an active verb formulated for the noun what's the noun of tagid? Hagada. So the Rama wants to tell us that Talmud Torah requires mitagiv And therefore, the steeper it is v'trayim is Talmud Torah. That's why we understand very well that in Talmud Torah, you have to take a parash in the Torah and learn it with the drasha and the Torah peh, And that's why in Talmud Torah, call it Mosif, the more you add, the better, because Talmud Torah is an endless mitzvah. And also, you have to describe the mitzvah talayla, and you have to explain them. All this is Haggadah. What does Haggadah mean? Haggadah means Talmud Torah. And that's what this mitzvah is all about. And that's why, as we said earlier, Baruch HaMokom Baruch Hu. But in addition to Talmud Torah and learning the al we have another dimension, and that's deeper an to tell the story of the Nid. Now, I see we have only about five minutes left. Is that correct? What time do we end at one? Okay, so in the next five minutes, I want to try to share with you another insight. And we've covered from Salvechik's, I would say, probably 50 pages. We covered the first two pages. So for the next 48 pages, you have to come back again for more. But what do we say? Page nine. Avadim hayinu lefaro bimitzran. Rav Salvechik is bothered by the language here of the Baal Haggadah in contrast to the language of the Bible. Again, we don't have time to go through the entire Pesachan side. But if you want to make a note of it, it's in the 10th chapter of Shmot, And it says, Vayomru Avde Paro. Now watch this. Avde Paro are the servants of Paro. What would be the parallel if you were talking about the slavery of the Jewish people? What would it say in Hebrew? It would again say, we were avdei Paro." The pasuk itself is referring to whom? Which means what? Jews or non-Jews? No, no, no. Again, vayomru avdei Paro. The servants of Paro said to Paro. That's a reference to to the Mitzrim, to the Egyptians. Again, if you have, we don't have time, but if you have a Chumash Shemot, you could look it up in the tenth chapter of Shemot. But here, it doesn't say avdei paro. It says avadim ayinu li paru. And you could have shortened it by just say avdei paro ayinu. Why avadim ayinu li paro? We were slaves to paro. Why don't you say we were slaves of paro? <coughs> so Rav salvation says something amazing. Let's say I meet a person. Again, I'm I'm embellishing it in my own way. And I ask him, who are you? And he responds, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a nurse. I'm a uh, trader on the market. What does that mean when I ask a person, who are you? And he tells me I'm a doctor. What does that tell me? (laughs) Exactly. He identifies himself as a doctor. As if to say the essence of my personality is that I'm a physician. If you say Avdei Paro, that means, who are you? You are an Evin Leparo. We can never, ever say about the Jewish people, avde Paro. You will never, ever say, of salvation. Fine. I don't know how he knows this, but all he can say is, you'll never find the phrase avde Paro in reference to the Jewish people. Because that would mean that we identify our essence as avde Paro. We are not avde Paro. Avodim leparo. We had a legal, you know, relationship as 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 servants, you know, to Paro, but we were never Avde Paro. But the nations of the world, and in this case the Egyptians, they would identify themselves as Avde Paro. Ask them who you are. You are, I am Avde Paro. That's my entire claim to fame. I'm an Evan to Paro. We would never say that our greatness is because we are an Evan to Paro. Unfortunately, tragically, we are. Avodim leparo, but we're not Avde paro. Avdei paro describes the person. Mm-hmm. And Rav salvation quotes a medrash that the Jewish people of Mitzrayim, even when they were under the servitude, the devil, the terrible suffering, they still believed in the redemption. They had megilot, they had scrolls that that were brought down to Mitzrayim hundreds of years before then. And these scrolls describe the, the ultimate geula from Mitzrayim, the redemption. And they read these scrolls. They didn't have too much time. Actually, Moshe Rabbeinu negotiated with Parol to give them a little time off on Shabbat, on Saturday. And what would they do on Shabbat? They would read these Megillah. They would read these scrolls that were handed down over the course of generations, and it gave them that inspiration. And that faith and optimism in the ultimate gu'ula. And that's why the women of Israel, they were the most outstanding members of this clan of faith. Rav Salvation points out that when they built the Mishkan and the women came forth to contribute what? The mirrors. And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to accept the mirrors. Mirrors something you look in to beautify yourself. It's vanity. Who's the fairest of them all? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, this is not appropriate for the Beit HaMikdash, for the lavers, for the washstands. And Hashem said, no, this is the best gift of them all, because it was the Jewish women who had faith. And Chazal say, it's only in their merit that we were redeemed. Because in that abject, abject slavery and those difficult times, the darkest times in history, they still had faith. They would use these mirrors to beautify themselves and go out to the fields and encourage their husbands and give their husbands a sense of faith, of optimism. Their husbands thought it was all over. This is the end. And it was the Jewish women who believed in the future. They understood that we're not Avde Paro and will never be Avde Paro. Our existential identity is always we are Avde Hashem. We are servants of Hashem. And the Jewish people are always called in of Avdeh Hashem, because that defines our, our identity. I'll end with a tefillah. He rots on me. It be his will that we could fulfill all these great mitzvahs of the night of Petrach, and especially Talmud Torah, and become pedagog and transmit to the next generation that faith, that optimism, in the ultimate redemption, of here of amenu omni.